All right. You want to be there. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Are you awake? No, you're not awake. Everybody's had a busy weekend. How many of you are going to have some really crazy time tomorrow for 4th of July? Fireworks? Anybody doing that? Just make sure you're careful. Don't blow a finger off or anything like that. Too much of that stuff going on. Well, I'm glad that you're here this morning. July 25th through the 30th, as far as the motion, we're going to go to the beach first, and then we're going to be headed to Birmingham, and you want to sign up. That's going to be an awesome time for us to be together. And so we really want to encourage you to be a part of that. And you can go online and sign up, or you can talk to Jenny when she gets back. Speaking of that, our group uh, that's been in Guatemala, they're headed back this evening. So be praying for them. I'm looking forward to hearing what they have to share with us about what God did in them and through them while they were there in Guatemala. I know they've had an exciting time and probably have a lot of uh, incredible stories. This morning, we're going to continue. We've been talking about the past few weeks. We've called this thing that we're talking about on Sunday morning, Old School. And uh, when we first put it out a few weeks ago, old school, somebody came up to me. I think I did the first Sunday a few weeks ago. Anybody remember what I talked about? I won't be offended if you don't. Anybody remember? Yes, ma'am. I talked about Gideon. Absolutely, Anna. Awesome. Talked about Gideon, a little bit different part of the story of Gideon than most people remember or, or read. But when the, when the um, series first started and it was sent out, about, again, it was called old school. I, I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, Mark, is, are they kind of like, did Daniel put this out? Uh, because Daniel's always ragging on me about being old. And they're like, it said, old school, come here, Mark Johnston. That's all it said. Didn't talk about Gideon or anything. So people were like coming up to me and said, are you offended that they put that out? And I was like, no, it doesn't matter to me. You know, but they thought it was a dig on me, but it, it's not. What we've been wanting to do is look at some of the stories that a lot of you are very familiar with. But sometimes you may not necessarily focus on a particular part of that story. Many of you know a lot of the stories in the scripture. And this morning we're going to look at, I felt like since I talked about Gideon the last time, and I have a son named Gideon, I would talk about my other son, Elijah. Not really talk about him, but who he's named after, um, the prophet Elijah. How many of you know anything about Elijah, the prophet? Anybody? Absolutely, Hamilton. Any, anything? Yes. He has a song. He has a song. These are the days of Elijah. Okay, wonderful, awesome. What about anybody else about Elijah? Anybody? Yes, sir, Miller. Okay, here's, and I'm glad you said that, because I want to give you a real quick recap of that. First Kings chapter 18, Elijah, here's the deal, what was going on. You had this wicked king named Ahab, wicked queen named Jezebel, and they hated the prophet Elijah. And one day Ahab sees Elijah and he says, you, you're the, you're the person that's been troubling all of Israel. I've got a problem with you. And Elijah said, me? You're the one that's the problem. And they had this conversation. And so Elijah says to King Ahab, okay, here's the deal. We're going to meet on this mount, Mount Carmel. And I want you to bring all your prophets. I want you to bring all the people out. There were 850 prophets that showed up on this mountain. And basically, Elijah said, here's the deal. What's gonna, and this is what's going to go down. 
You're going to call on your God. We're going to see who the real God is. The God that I serve and that is truly the God of Israel are your gods, are your God. And so they get up there on this mountain, all Israel comes out, these prophets are out there, and if you've read the story, you've read part of it, you know, they're out, and so Elijah says, okay, here's the deal, set up an altar, and then you call for your God to show up. You call for your God to show us that he's really here. So these dudes, 850 of them, they're crying, they start in the morning time, the scripture says, they start in the morning calling out to their God. They begin cutting themselves and dancing around and yelling for their God. It goes on all morning, and it goes all the way through noon. I don't know if they took a lunch break, but it uh, uh, goes through noon and to midday, to midday. Nothing is happening. Then Elijah starts yelling at them and says, hey, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's doing some of the, he's, you know, he's not showing up, guys. Where is he? So after a period of time, Elijah says, enough of this nonsense. He sets up an altar and takes a bull, sacrifices it, puts it, and he tells the people, he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to soak this altar with water over the wood, over the bull, and I want you to do it not one time, not two times, not three times, many, many times. Soaks it to where the water's just running all over the place. It's saturated. And then check out this. This is what happens. Again, just kind of giving you a recap. And it says, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known, check this out, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, and answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. He put them to death. And the reason why was back then, God had told him, if there's false prophet, you put him to death. So God demonstrates who he is in this, if you want to say this showdown. Elijah's up there and the prophets are up there and God demonstrates who he is. And Elijah puts to death the prophets of Baal. Well, this ticks off Jezebel. It gets, word gets back to Jezebel. Ahab tells Jezebel about that. And I want to pick up right here on this. In chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It says, uh, starting in verse 1, chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more. Also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Think about this now. Elijah has this great, if you want to say, showdown in that God demonstrates who he is. He demonstrates I am the true God of Israel. Can you imagine what Elijah must have felt like after that? Not only so excited that God is demonstrating who he is, 
but a justice has taken place because these prophets were leading Israel astray. How many of you have had some really just awesome times with the Lord as far as, and what I mean by that is not necessarily an experience per se, but you've had a time where you've been spending time with the Lord in his word, or maybe it's been several weeks where your, your time with the Lord has just been really good as you've read his word, as you've really uh, worshiped him and thought about him, and you've had times with your friends here, and then boom, one day you have a really bad day, and you're kind of like, everything about God just goes out the door, and you forget about his goodness, his love, his mercy. Anybody ever had a day like that? Yeah, probably all of us have had days where, had weeks where we've had really good weeks and we're excited about the things of the Lord and being with our friends and in youth group or whatever, or a conference. And then we come back home and something hits us in the face and we get scared and we get really upset and we don't know what to do. We get confused. And then everything about God and who he is flees from our mind. Well, that's what happened to Elijah right here. Elijah has just had this incredible, if you want to say experience, with God, demonstrating who he is. And you would think that would be able to carry him for a long time. But it's very quickly that the news gets out to Jezebel, and Jezebel sends word to Elijah so, saying, you're a dead man. You're a dead man. When I get a hold of you, you're going to be just like one of these prophets. And so what does Elijah do? Elijah doesn't bow up. You would think, oh, he'd be like, bring it on. Come on. You know, smack down city for you, queen. All right? No. No. Dude, check this out. Then, in verse 3, it says, Then he was afraid, and he rose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Dude, Elijah puts on his Nikes his new balances, and he takes off running. I really think Elijah was a cross-country runner because you're going to see, when you read the story of Elijah, he's doing a lot of running. But the dude takes off. He runs. He's fearful when he finds out that Jezebel is wanting to kill him. He becomes afraid. This is the same man, remember, that had been part of putting to death 850 prophets. So he he runs for his life. This man had been a man of faith, a man of courage, who has trusted God for miracles. And Elijah had been a guy who also was so in relationship with God that when God told him to do things, he moved when God told him to move and go do certain things. That's how in relationship he was with God and was responding to God's commands. But here, what's interesting is God, you don't see anything about Elijah praying, calling out to God at that time. He just takes off, man. He runs. And he flees. The verse says in verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah had had fled from Jezreel in the north to Beersheba, in the far south of the promised land. The distance, the distance for this from the top of Mount Carmel to Beersheba, which was about 120 miles, 
it would have normally taken an ordinary person about six days. Somebody, if they were running, maybe a little bit less than that. But Elijah gets there, and he gets under this big nine-foot, you know, broom tree, shady and everything, probably exhausted. And he says, you know what, Lord? It's enough. It's enough. Just go ahead and kill me. Take my life. This man was fearful what was going to happen to him. So fearful, so down, so discouraged, so worn out probably, that he's, he's really praying, God, take my life. And he lays down and he sleeps under the, and he slept under a broom tree. And check it out. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So here you go. You got Elijah, again, wanting to die. And God, in fact, the song that we just finished singing, talking about our weakness, God being strong, giving us faith. I don't know about you, but there are many times when I am so fearful about things and I need the Lord to encourage me and give me a stronger faith. Last night, I was sound asleep about 2, 2.30 in the morning, and there was just some things that I was thinking about in my life that I need to do, and I started worrying about some things in my life. How many of you have ever had that happen to you? Just like all of a sudden, just this wave of, I don't know what to do. I, 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 I can't do this. I don't know where my next, you know, and, and you start thinking all kind of awful things. Last night that happened to me at 2.30 in the morning. I got down on my knees and just started praying. Got out my Bible, started reading scripture because I, I had this fearful sense that I didn't know what to do about some decisions I'm thinking about. Elijah is in a situation much worse than I am, so to speak, and he's calling out for God to take his life. But here, I want you to see the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. He sends an angel to encourage Elijah. The angel of the Lord comes, and he gives him something to eat. And he says, you're going to need this for the journey is too great. And Elijah takes and eat, and he arises and it says, and went the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights to the Horeb, the Mount of God. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. Anybody remember Mount Sinai? What happened at Mount Sinai? Anybody know? No. Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments was given. So Mount Horeb, it says Mount Horeb, but it's talking about Mount Sinai. This is where God first gave the Ten Commandments. So uh, Elijah goes to Mount Horeb, and it says, There he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I... And I, even I only, am left, 
and they seek my life to take it away. Hey, Lord, I'm the only one that's left that loves you, who's been jealous for you and for your honor and your glory. And God says this to Elijah. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind toward the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous. Check this out. Same response. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Mahola, something like that, uh, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave, check this out, God's promise right here. Yet I will leave even seven, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Here Elijah has an issue, and it's kind of like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left, Lord. And sometimes we have that feeling that we are the only ones. And sometimes rightly so. You might be in a school where you feel like, I'm the only person that's a Christian here that really loves the Lord. I'm the only person in my neighborhood. I'm the only person on my team. I'm the only person that really cares about the things of God. I'm being mocked. No one likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. I mean, if you've ever heard that song, you know that. But anyway, I mean, we just kind of like nobody. And Elijah has this sense of, I'm the only one left. And God tells him, I have 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed their knee to Baal. So here's what I want to wrap up and share with you this morning to encourage you to think about is this. A lot of times, I don't know, again, about you, but I'm looking for God to do some incredible things in my life. There are times where I'm looking for experiences. I'm looking, Lord, if you'll just let this happen, if you'll just let, uh, like if somebody will come ring the doorbell right now, I know that it was you that wants me to go do this. Or God, if you'll let them tell me this, then I'll go do this. Or God, you know, if there's so many people that show up, then I'll be a part of this. I'll go do this or whatever. There are times where we have this thing of looking for experiences, and unfortunately, in our culture today, in our culture today, in, ch- in a lot of churches, that's what's promoted. Look for an experience. Gold dust falling from the skies. There's a church in California that they say the Holy Spirit shows up. When the Holy Spirit shows up, gold dust. And they, there's actual videos, right, Daniel? There's actual videos of this gold flittering stuff in the skies, and people are just, oh, oh, oh. That's the biggest bunch of junk. And I'm glad this is being recorded for anybody that might, you know. That's the biggest bunch of junk. 
But you know what? That church is filled with thousands of people who believe that. And the pastor of that church should be ashamed of himself because he teaches heresy. Teaching stuff like that. Well, if the Holy Spirit... Let me tell you something. Here's a newsflash. God doesn't show up and, and leave and show up and leave and show up like a genie in a lamp. He's here right now. Don't look for the experiences. That's not what we're called to do. Now, we see an experience with Elijah in 18, chapter 18. But these are historical things about who God is and what he's done. It's not for us to go, go, oh, I, I got to go, hey, listen, I'm going to confront some of my non-Christians. We're going to go up to Stone Mountain or Kennesaw Mountain. We're going to throw down and we're going to see who the real God is. How stupid is that? But there are some people that actually believe, well, you know, Joshua marched around the city and, and conquered that city, and i got to do that if I want this place. You know, I want this job, I want whatever. I'm just going to march around for seven days, and God will give it to me. It's the biggest bunch of junk. But that kind of stuff is taught in churches, and those people ought to be ashamed of themselves when they're taking God's Word and using it for what it's not. Here's what I want to share with you about with Elijah. And we're wrapping up with this five minutes and we're through. See, Elijah experienced these things. But it says right here about the, but the Lord was not in the fire, wasn't in the earthquake. After the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And God goes on to tell him what he needs to go do. And here's what the point of this passage, or at least a good bit of this passage, is about. Because God is not in the business of doing all of these great things for us to convince us to go do things for Him. He's given us His Word. He's given us Christ to look to and trust rather than all these experiences. I'm not saying God doesn't do amazing things on a daily basis. If we had a 24-hour God channel, we'd see incredible things that God is doing on a daily basis. But what he's called us to do is to trust him. And there are times where he works through very ordinary situations. And what he was telling Elijah is, here's the thing. You're going to go anoint these people, and they're going to carry out my purposes. I'm not going to accomplish my purposes through all these things, these miracles. I'm going to use natural things political processes, things that I, where I'm anointing people and they're going to bring my people back to themselves, I mean to myself. And so here in this is Elijah's role is going to prepare other people to do God's work that God has a purpose for. So I want to share this. There's four things I want you, if you don't remember anything, I want you to think about this. When you're living your life for God, and hopefully you are. All of us in this room, hopefully, are people who know the Lord. But we're not perfect. And we have periods of time where we go do our own thing, to be honest with you. I struggle with that. I struggle with wanting to do my own thing, living for me rather than living for God. Any of y'all ever feel like that? Everyone probably should be raising your hand right now because all of us feel like that. I'm not going to say you're fibbing, but all of us want to live for me a lot of times rather than for God. 
But here's the thing I want to tell you, that when, when we're living for God, there's always going to be resistance to the things that we're wanting to, in, in our living for God, and also wanting to do for God. There's always going to be some resistance. There's going to be the flesh that says, I don't want to do this. Two weeks ago I was asked, or three weeks ago I was asked to do a funeral. First funeral I've ever done in my life. I did not want to do it. Nothing in me wanted to do it. It was a sad, sad situation. I didn't even know if the young men knew the Lord. And I kept telling the Lord, I don't want to do this. I really don't. Because I knew what it was going to be like in dealing with the people that were his parents. And it was going to be, and I just kept saying, I don't want to do this, Lord. But my flesh didn't want to do it. There's always going to be resistance in our flesh not to do the things God wants us to do. We're also, we have an enemy called Satan. And he's going to and will oppose God's people. And so don't ever think, oh, it's going to be real easy living for God. There are times where it is, but there's other times where it can be very, very difficult. And we can, be, we can have opposition to the, how we want to live our lives. Sometimes it can be family members. I'm, I'm going to be spending some time with family members today up at the lake. And there's some in my family that don't know the Lord, don't care anything about the Lord. And there are times where I've been mocked by some of these people in family gatherings. And there have been times where I've been discouraged when I've come away from those family gatherings. But then I have to think about, and the Lord comes and encourages me, like he did with Elijah. He keeps saying, Mark, I'm with you. He tells me that through his word. I don't hear these audible voices. But God works in many different ways. God doesn't work in just one way. He works in many, many ways. And in a lot of ways we never expect the other thing is, is that the Lord will strengthen you and encourage you to do what God's calling you to do. And I want to tell you something, you need to hear this. Every one of you in this room that know the Lord, you're called to live for Him, to bring honor and glory to Him. But not everybody in this room is going to be a world changer. You're not going to go set the world on fire. That's not what God is going to call everyone in here to do. Sometimes people get frustrated, like, I, I thought God wanted me to go change the world. Be this speaker, be this singer, be whatever, and just, you know, change the world. Or I'm going to go to this other country and change that country. That may be what God's calling you to do. But what happens when that doesn't? And you have a normal job, and you go to a, you know, not a big, fancy, impressive school. And you don't have this glamorous job one day, or you're not married to a glamorous person one day, or you don't have all, you know. God doesn't call us to succeed all the time and, and have all these things and go change the world and set it on fire. He may call somebody to do that. But he does call us to live on a daily basis looking to him for strength and encouragement. And there are many times when you're tired and you're upset and you're angry and you don't feel like it. And the Lord comes along and he says, or he uses somebody to come along and say, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. I've had many people say that to me in the past couple of weeks. Mark, I'm praying for you. Because I know you're going through some difficult times. 
So God works in many different ways. He strengthens and encourages those who are faithful and even those who are not always faithful. You don't have to be perfect. No one in this room has a perfect life. You don't live perfectly. But God doesn't use just those who are faithful. He uses those who are struggling. He does want us to be faithful. But don't get in your mind, oh, I have to have my life perfectly where I'm never disobeying God because I've got to have it that way so God can use me. That's, that's bogus. That's messed up. Because if that were true, yours truly would not be standing up here speaking. Right, Mark? Because Mark Huffman knows <laughs> a little bit about me. A lot of you know a little bit about me. I'm a messed up individual. Daily, having to ask God to forgive me for the things I think, say, and do. My children will tell you that. Just get them off to the side and say, hey, tell me about your dad. They may give you an earful. Here's the other thing we need to remember, and we've got one minute. None of us are indispensable. God doesn't need you to accomplish his purpose. He's going to accomplish his purpose with you or without you. See, there's a, a thought of he needs you. He can't do it without you, and that is so messed up. There's nowhere in Scripture that talks about God needs you. Jesus actually said he could have the stones cry out and worship him. He doesn't need us to do that. He desires that. As his children, he desires for us to do that, but he doesn't need us. Don't ever think that God needs... It ain't going to happen. Sorry for the poor grammar. But it's not going to happen if it doesn't happen because of you. God doesn't necessarily need you. He used, he's used a lot of people, and he will continue to use a lot of people that you would never think about and wouldn't be the most likely to be used. But he does desire to use you. He does desire to have you live for his honor and glory. The last thing is we don't do it in our strength. Elijah found that out. It's not in his strength. And there's a possibility when all of that happened with the prophets of Baal, there's a possibility that Elijah had a little bit, yeah, I'm the man. See what I did? Don't mess with me, Victor. And uh, come on, you don't know who I am. And hey, old school. Anyway, so, um, so here's the deal. I have a feeling of, hey, self-importance. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I do? Done all these things for God? We need to understand that we don't do it in our strength. We do it in his strength. And that's what Elijah had to learn, was it was not his strength. And again, the song that we sang at the end, talking about our faith and our strength and our weakness as far as in that we need the Lord to give us strength in our weakness. Give us faith to live a life. I was praying last night, Lord, give me a stronger faith. Give me strength to live the way that you want me to live because I can't do it on my own. Neither can you. Neither could Elijah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and for your many blessings. I thank you for each one of these young men and young women. I pray, Lord, that you would help us look to you for strength. 
that when we feel like we can't go on, we feel like we just, this Christian life is such a hard thing, and the things that you're calling us to do or, or how you're calling us to live can be so hard and be resisted by not only our flesh, but others around us, that, Lord, that we want to give up sometimes. We just, like, forget it. But, Lord, in those times, I pray that you will, through your word, through others, through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will strengthen us, that you will encourage us and say, I'm with you, I haven't left you, and I'm always going to be with you. And that, Lord, that we would understand that we're not indispensable, that you can use anyone to accomplish your purposes. But we thank you for the salvation that you give us in Jesus Christ and that we have been called to be your children and called to live for your honor and glory. And that can be so exciting and so fill us with wonder and awe in who you are. May we never look for experiences. May we look to your word and grow in you and get to know you more, to know the, the God who is worthy to be honored, worshipped, and, and loved for all of our lives. I pray for our time this today and tomorrow as we spend time with our family, that you'll watch over us, you'll encourage us, you'll strengthen us. I pray for our group coming back from Guatemala. Lord, thank you for allowing them to go and, and uh, have an opportunity to serve you, to live for you. I pray, Lord, that you will watch over as they come back and give them safety. Lord, thank you for today and for each person in this room. We love them and thank you for them. Father, bless our time in worship and uh, hearing the word this morning in the sanctuary. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.